when you either score 11 against a minnow or lose inevitably to Mexico with no in-between. It's That's the MLS. A North American soccer podcast with myself, Andrew Bates, and Nick Thornton. 11 is not enough. 11 is not enough. Hey, hey. I've been spending a lot of time in CONCACAF recently. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As, as we all have. Yes. It's been um, interesting time. Yeah, the, 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 we, we've just seen the conclusion of the, um, the CONCACAF Men's Olympic Qualifying Tournament for the Canadian Men's National Under-23 team. Um, and we've seen the, the beginning of Canada's 2022 World Cup campaign, qualifying campaign. Um, that, uh, these have, these have given us a chance to see, um, some new players, some, uh, some, especially depth from, from players. I think some of the players that you would have seen in the Canadian men's national setup, including Derek Cornelius, Mm -hmm. um, of the Vancouver Whitecaps, having a a great chance to sort of show their mettle, um, at the U23 level as well. Absolutely. Yeah. It's great. Sort of like, uh. I mean, I know it's not double experience because you can't be in two places at once, but like <laughs> a player like Cornelius, who's also played at the senior level to get to also play it at this level, I think is good to get the, like, as you said, get the experience. I think it's especially important for defenders. Like there, there's not the same level of development for defenders, I think, in our nation yet. And it's a great chance to get competitive games. The, unfortunately, the results in the Olympic qualifiers weren't all the best. But, you know, if you look at that team and you think this doesn't have, you know, some of the top under-23s that we have in the group, including Jonathan David or, or Alfonso Davies, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot to be excited by. And I think that uh, New England's uh, Tejan Buchanan um, really turned some heads. Yeah. And, I mean... All aboard the Baldissimo train, um, <laughs> the hype train it is. I, I was honestly having some moments where, you know, people were hyping him up on Whitecaps Twitter um, ahead of the MLS season, and I kept thinking, like, I I think he's a fantastic talent. I don't know that he's a starter. And after seeing him battling it out with Mexican midfielders and, you know, throwing arms and getting good slide tackles in, I, I mean, we know what his ability is on the ball and able to pass, but I thought he had an incredible game and looked like, for the most part, really up to the challenge. Um, if as a whole team effort, it wasn't there. But Buchanan is another player who just had um, a fantastic little campaign in our brief <laughs> Olympic run. He had a brace against El Salvador. Um, Derek Cornelius scored against Honduras in a uh, in a one-one draw, and that was it for Canada's goals. Uh, mm-hmm. But that that uh, semifinal against Mexico, um, which is the same stage against the same opponent that Canada have gone out the last two uh, Olympic qualifying tournaments. Mm -hmm. Um, They really pushed hard. Of course, you know, we've talked again and again at CONCACAF about Mexican teams playing, uh, you know, you feeling like you've, you've done well at halftime against the Mexican team. And then, um, and then, and then having them show their quality in the second half. Um, But I really, and unfortunately, at that by the time that that happened, there just was nothing, not a lot of, not a lot left in the tank for Canada, not a lot of push to be able to, uh, to do much. But in terms of like exactly what you were saying, those those tackles from Michael Baldissimo, in 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 the the structure of being able to hold off 
Mexico for the first, you know, uh, 15 minutes was uh, was great from Canada. I mean, name a better effort against a Mexican side than Canada's. <laughs> like, I I feel like there's so much positivity and there's so much to look forward to. And and that's great. But one of the things that like the real um, the thing that will come back to bite you with following the Canadian national team is that we have made massive strides. But when you just sort of look at it um, in isolation and in relatively low stakes games, yes, we've made massive improvements, but like we're nowhere near Mexico's quality. I, I think we did a great job and we competed the best we ever have, but it shows there there's a tremendous amount of work to go. And that's fine. I think we're in a great place, but I think there's definitely a, a desire for us to, to want to have greater ambitions than maybe we're able to live up to at the moment. Um, just given the insane quality of a side like Mexico, um, even at the, the U23 level, but I, I still feel like this, this, this run and that game is a positive, is it not? I would definitely agree. And in, in, um, the more it's all about the experience of being in the, that game. Cause those players mm-hmm. that played for Canada are going to play against the same players that played for Mexico five years down the line. And, yeah. um, and, and being able to sort of get that going now is, is, is something that I think is going to pay off. The, th- the issue for, um, the issue that has always existed for Canada, I feel, is that if you want to beat a team like Honduras, uh, convincingly, you know, four times out of five or whatever, you need to play teams that are like Honduras mm-hmm. um, often. And what happens or what can happen sometimes is, and this is where we go to the, the national program issue. Is that you have uh, uh, you have uh, players or you have teams play against like these smaller countries in Concacaf and then get one game against mm-hmm. a team like Honduras and then yeah. they instead of getting five games against the team that are the level of the of of the teams we need to get up to mm-hmm. we play three minnows one of those teams and then one U.S. or Mexico that's going to blow us out of the water. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and the results kind of read that way, right? Is we're able to blow some of those minnows out of the water where in the past we've maybe, you know, convincingly won, but maybe not consistently or maybe not by a great margin, and we've made life very difficult for ourselves. We've leveled up and shown we can now do some real damage against a certain type of opponent and we've made incremental success towards the the larger goal as you say and i totally agree it it comes down to being able to have those consistent uh, really competitive matches that um for our level it's much better than it used to be but there's uh lots and lots of room to go Speaking of competitive matches for national team program, and we are a club soccer podcast, but you know the the, the some of the best opportunities to see North American players right now are um, are in these sorts of competitions. The Canadian women's national team um, competed in the She Believes Cup tournament at the uh, at the conclusion of February. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that was a fun. That was a fun set of games. I was, of course, um, this has felt since it's uh, since this tournament was established in 2016. This has felt a little bit like um, the 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 adults' table of spring preseason tournaments. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A, not not to say that we're like like obviously with the Algarve are a lot of um, a lot of teams that we are competitive with and, and that 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 give us challenge. But this is playing in a tournament like this has often in the past been, uh, or, you know, does give you that opportunity to play teams that are better than you. Or, or like a team like Brazil, who has that level where we've beat them before, but we need to be able to, to be facing them in order to understand and, and level up ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. Canada was able to um, to play a tough uh, a, a tough match against Argentina that was very chippy, but that ninety plus two goal from Sarah Stratagakis. Yeah, that one was, uh, we just barely made it out of that game by the skin of our teeth, but uh, we're able to get it done. But it's certainly, like you said, uh, a scrappy affair and one that was getting a little a little close for comfort. This was like like the, the all of these tournaments were the first chance to see these programs really um, since the start of the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, I think. And... And I enjoyed in that game uh, getting to cha- getting a chance to see a little bit of Bev Priestman, the new coach of the women's program, Absolutely. in action. There were some nice little there were some nice little uh, um, nice little verbal jabs that I appreciated. I loved her turning to the fourth official uh, two minutes from time and just saying ten minutes. <laughs> I don't ask for much. <laughs> hey, she'd fit right in in MLS. Um, and uh, uh, the that was an attempt. That was an attempted clearance that Canada recovered, and and it was like uh, 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 that goal was one that sort of like um, the ball landed. A player got a hack at it. it it was deflected. There was a second attempt, and then on the third strike, Stratagakis, who was able to get, I believe that, her uh, her her first uh, goal with the women's national team. And that game uh, also had just it was like we could not buy a goal for the longest time. It felt like, especially through that second half, it felt like it kept falling. But it just as soon as we were within the third yard box, it just all broke down and became chaos and. Yeah, um, I, w- I was glad we could get that one out of the way. Um, however, things didn't go so well after that. I mean, one nothing against the states is pretty pretty good in the states. Um, that was a that was a goal from Rose Lavelle on the seventy ninth minute. So I think that a lot of people late on are thinking, "Wow, we've wow, it's the 50, 60, 70th minute, and we're we're doing pretty good here." But um, as you've mentioned about the Argentina game, um, challenging for Canada to buy a goal in in either of these last two encounters, but but very structured. Yeah, I definitely say that. Is I really appreciated that. That's something we've talked a lot about with the um, the Canadian women's team is that the 
the structure of the team isn't always there. There's individual moments of brilliance, and there's a lot of grit there. But as a system, it seems to, like, kind of get very chaotic from the, like, 60th minute onwards. And that seems to have, like, definitely been addressed, which is good. (laughs) Um, I, I still felt like there were a lot of transitional plays where there... It may have just been the focus on the accuracy of passing and building out of pressure as a team, but I felt like a lot of our passes were like quite slow and just really missing that crispness um, that you see with a team like the U.S. And it's sort of like seeing the beginning of stages of something that's going to get a lot better over the next five or so years, but as of right now still feels a little bit like they're working out some kind of fundamental things to be a powerhouse, but it was a, I mean, a good showing. Yeah. I I felt that the showing was good at the end. The, the two nothing game of against Brazil was a, a little less um, competitive. I think partially there was a, just some tired legs issues and, you know, they scored much earlier in the game. So they were pretty much, in, they were, they felt a little more in control the whole time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but Overall, I think an inter- like a, a an exciting first showing in the tournament. Absolutely, and actually, I mean, watching the highlights of that game, it's nothing really to write home about. But when looking at the team stats here, um, both teams had four shots on target. Possession was forty nine fifty one in favor of Brazil. Uh, four hundred fifty seven passes compared to compared to four hundred seventy nine. Eighty two. Our passing accuracy was a little better than Brazil. So, like overall. You know, lots of things, lots of, uh, again, like great improvements and and good to see the team kind of clicking. And also a team that is a little bit of a different look for the Canadian women's team. Um, of the of these three tournaments, um, what's a, do, could you think of a player or players that you uh, that you really had your eye opened about? Um, or that you've noticed any sort of, you know. Um, change or difference in? I mean, I think the the big one for me is still Baldissimo, because I didn't... I've never seen him play with that level of physicality before. And that, for me, I mean, as I'm sure listeners will recall, is like has been a big, big sticking point for me with the Whitecaps midfield, is size and strength and just getting overpowered. And that's sort of why I was thinking, I don't know that he's a starter. But watching him... You know, going into to tackles, winning the ball, um, you know, riding challenges himself, using his shoulders to to hold off players. That to me is is a really like it just can't be understated how helpful that's going to be to our team. <laughs> I think we've we've lacked that as a national team as well at times. We've just we get a little bit too easily bullied off the ball, and you're starting to see this younger group of players that is a much higher caliber than I think what we've had in the past. And and the beautiful thing is you pair that alongside um, potentially like, you know, the, the older midfielders that are going to be able to really help nurture that along. There was a player as well um, on the women's team, and I'm just trying to pull up the roster because the name is not immediately going to come to me. But who who's who kind of had your eyes opened uh, for you? I was going to say, um, well... I mentioned Buchanan in the Olympic qualifying tournament. Um, there were uh, the other MLS players to get two goals were Minnesota's Hassani Dotson, uh, Jackson Ewell of San Jose, and um, Nashville's Randall Leal. 
And in Buchanan had a great season in MLS last year, and I think that he made a case in this tournament to really sort of continue elevating the game, his game further, and become like a real um, to, to show that he can be a real threat in games. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was excited to see that. And, of course, I think the evolution that a lot of Whitecaps fans will have been watching through the two um, senior national team qualif- uh, qualifiers would be that Lucas Cavallini didn't have the best year last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say that it was awful, but I think that from what people were hoping for and expecting, he didn't always look um, sort of in his highest spirits. And mm-hmm. certainly... The Bermuda game was an example of that. He looked frustrated. He had uh, challenges, burying his chances. Mm -hmm. He Mm -hmm. looked real happy tonight. (laughs) Absolutely. Getting a hat trick will help that. But, um, you know, there was a lot of talk about how he um, would have been driven to sort of have a different uh, performance after the one that took place in Bermuda and, he, um, it didn't look as hard for him out there. Of course, the the opponent is is that it isn't as hard. But, but if you're looking for him to have that level of confidence to be that that um, that central figure, mm-hmm. this game offered an offered an opportunity, I think, for Cavallini, Alf Davies, and Mark Anthony K to be sort of like. Okay, who's going to be the central? Yeah, who who wants to take over the star role in this game? Because mm-hmm. you had you had all these little moments of Mark Anthony K is on two goals and he goes to take a penalty, and the penalty yeah. is saved, and it's saved again, and he takes the rebound and it's saved, and the rebound falls to Alfonso Davies. Yeah, and then he was well, continuing I... to try and get this hat trick, and then Lucas Cavallini scores two goals. There's... Exactly. It's that kind of game that, and connection that we just need to do against the better teams now. Um, it, it feels like it's still got to be like perfect conditions to see our team really come to life and connect in the way that you would hope. Um, so I agree, like getting them to do it to gain some fluency and, and hopefully the muscle memory of it too. Um, it really feels like a lot of time Cavallini's biggest trouble is just he's in his own head. It's just... I mean, he's doing an insanely difficult job, and a lot of the goals that he's on the end of are balls being whipped into the box, which traditionally have a lower, like much lower percentage of being able to actually finish it. But um, yeah, for me, it just seems like at times he just overthinks it or he's just a step behind, but he's always in the right place. He's always getting himself into the, the right spaces and certainly getting chances on frame just unfortunately quite literally sometimes just on the frame <laughs> um so this was a, a great one um coming back to the the women's team for a minute um deanne rose yeah I, I certainly knew about before and had seen her do great things and she for me was a, a real standout for our side not like a, necessarily the most productive campaign in terms of goals and assists but um her ability to to move up and down the pitch again, the physicality is is just having a little bit more strength going forward um, than than some of the other forward options. And and I thought she had a, a number of moments that just all of a sudden we were moving quickly, 
and she's steaming towards defenders and there's danger out of nothing and that's a a really great thing to have in a player and especially a player at 22 um I wasn't sleeping on her talent, but I, I think that we can expect a lot more from her and, and see her maybe as a bit more of a mainstay than she's been. Rosie is the kind of player that you want to try and have, um, you know, take a bigger role and be able to to, to form that uh, connective tissue um, once you feel the team is, is firing on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, even if... You know we're we're moving back we're, we're moving back a little bit from from Christine Sinclair as a as a main goal scoring figure. Um, we can't then just be like, okay, well the the sink the sink playing the role of Christine Sinclair tonight, Jordan Heidema, mm-hmm. or 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 Jesse Fleming. We can't. Uh, yeah, or Janine Becky. We can't continue to be in the position of we're going to rely on one player for everything. Or a couple and I think, you know, in Heidema, you get the insane technical ability. Um, in Becky, again, you get the athleticism and ability to go 1v1. And I think Rose has that slightly more athletic strength and also maybe a little bit more clinical. Um, but again, it's about minutes, right? It's getting getting that fluency. Um, but I agree. Yeah, it's it's if if we're in a transitional phase, it's like, well, what are we transitioning into? And I think you you can't just always be looking in the rearview mirror. You have to be looking at your current roster as we are um, and starting to think about, well, what what's the new dynamic going to look like? Because we've got different strengths at our disposal now. That's a great point. When is that? When is when is Tokyo? What are our reckless nights in Tokyo? I who knows anymore. The twenty twenty I mean, Tokyo Olympics will be taking place in twenty twenty three. That's not true. Totally normal. They were talking on one soccer. They were talking about holding so, so the Canadian Championship. This 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 interminable game, the twenty twenty mm-hmm. Canadian Championship final, um, was supposed to. Award the winner of the Voyagers Cup and also a spot in the CONCACAF Champions League. Now, Forge FC said they didn't get dispensation of practice, so they weren't able to make the 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 planned date that they were they were trying to work towards. Um, TF, they they I guess came to this deal that TFC will just get the Champions League spot because that tournament is cannot wait any longer. Yeah. Um, but they still want to play the game. And Nick Bontis, the CSA president, was on one soccer in the halftime of one of these games saying, we should play the game in 2022 so there'll be fans that can see it. Mm. Which is a lot. Just finish. Just get it done. Yeah. <laughs> Do you I, know like, this, won't be, this will not be your last chance to play the soccer. But once we're into rescheduling games that were supposed to be last year, and you're like, well, but what about if we had fans, if we just weed another? It's like, <laughs> I think we're asking the wrong questions here. There's going to be, go. are we going to have, my first thought is, does that mean we're not having a 2021? I think we should redo the Berlin Olympics. <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. it just, it gets... I don't think people really think it through or think about like actual time or the challenges of just perpetually postponing things or shifting them around. We're yeah, we it's weird enough. 
We don't need it. It'd be it would be great, but and I mean this is the same thing. You know, England is doing all this, trying to push stuff into the summer. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's the first time it's the first time I've ever heard any head of a soccer organization be like, "Oh, we might need to do this thing in 2022, guys." <laughs> which which I mean, like, is something that you maybe could have thought of, would maybe might have been clear about soccer competitions in general. Yeah. Um, like, you would think like a year ago. Jesus. <laughs> maybe it's... maybe that's over. We didn't of course we didn't hope this was going to be a two-year thing at that point. But by no. November we might have known. I well okay, yeah. I don't want to get pulled out of this soccer conversation too much, but I feel like that's a theme in general is that there's a lot of <laughs> magical thinking about the pandemic and a timeline that just seems to not take into account facts or our historical knowledge of this virus and Uh, it's really coming to fruition in the sports world. (laughs) I think, I think, and, and and I care about the Voyagers kept deeply. And I think that the, the playing, you care about more than anyone I know. I do. I really, I, that it's a central, it's central to my soccer fandom. Mm -hmm. Um, when it comes to North American soccer, it was one of the first things that I like, Really got me engaged and really got me excited. Those were my first games as a uh, in person, mm-hmm. um, watching any pro soccer. Um, so this it, the trophy means a lot to me, and awarding the trophy means a lot to me. I think that there may be a little bit too. If if you think people are still going to be hung up on who the twenty twenty on deciding the 2020 Canadian champion in 2022 in a match between Toronto FC and Forge FC, that might, (laughs) no, that feels, that feels like a lot to put on for that match. And I love that. that, And I love that cup. Yeah. Like the mental gymnastics it takes to reschedule, endlessly reschedule. It feels much simpler and easier stakes to just say, there is no 2020 competition. And in fact, there may not be a 2021 competition. We will revisit when we can make this feasibly happen and just pause it. It doesn't have to happen. <laughs> like, and it's not that it's not important. It's just the larger context is more important. As you said, nobody's going to be like, well, we can't ever resolve who's really the champion because there are no champion in 2020 and they never tried to play it at a later date. Because then who's the 2022 champion? If you're playing for 2020, are we just perpetually two years behind? We are, we have a best of three. And then the winner, the first winner is the 2020 champion. The Tell second you what, it's called fucking rock, paper, scissors. Man. 2021 <laughs> like... champion. Um, yeah, none of it makes any sense. But, uh, and the, in, in, that's why I was just so I was just so flabbergasted to hear the number twenty twenty two come out of his mouth when I hadn't heard any plans about twenty twenty one. Hmm. Hmm. Um. Yeah. But we'll see how things go with that. Things are uh, are progressing apace with the uh, with MLS MLS's preseason. Toronto FC and and and. and uh, CF. Well, Vancouver, Vancouver has started their their camp. Do we know what? <laughs> Which the deal team is? do you want to talk about here? Oh, I was I've... just, I was just, I was starting with Toronto, but at the same time, I uh, at this, I was, I was trying to think of what I had seen. 
that was taking Club place for Club de United Inter Sporting Real. So, Montreal has not announced its preseason schedule. Um, Montreal has a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, in some ways. In some ways they do, in some ways they don't. Um, they do have a head coach now, which they is do. cool. They do have a head coach, the uh, assistant coach who's been there for a while, who was, he kind of tossed his name into the ring uh, about a month back, didn't he? And he was like, I'm ready. And then they were like, we're not sure. And then they were like, hey, you're the only person that wants this job. Will you please do it? He says, put me in coach. And I, and I mean coach. Put me in coach. Put me in the coach position. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor lonely bastard. <laughs> um, we, we discussed it, uh, but indeed, uh, Thierry Henry has, has made his departure. Um, and we haven't really heard... I kind of expected by now, if he was going to put something together, I kind of expected that to happen by now, but but it hasn't happened yet. No, I, I mean, the last... I saw an interview with him, I think, on Sky Sports or something, and he was sort of just talking about the, the pressures from the insane last year and missing his family, and that was kind of it. I don't think he talked too much about future plans. It sounds like he, he's just wanting to spend some time with his family, which... Fair play. Um, Wilfred Nancy, that's the name of CF Montreal's new coach. Yes. Um, um, with Lauren Simon filling the assistant the, the assistant coach uh, bench. I missed that somehow. Huh. So, and oh, right, because Simon ty- retired, didn't he? Or is he player coaching it? I think he's retired. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, they, the wouldn't, other... they wouldn't pull him off the... the they wouldn't pull him out of the, the, the allocation order or what have you. They didn't have to do a deal, so I assume. Yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been rough going for them. I mean, I, I still think that they have the core of a good group, but as we've discussed with a number of teams, they've also just hemorrhaged good young players over the last couple of years. And it it's Montreal is kind of one of those teams that, and it seems this way for Canadian clubs especially, have just not really been able to make many big moves. And in fact, probably the Whitecaps have been able to make the most and the biggest. Yeah, have we seen... what? So we know that there have been some departures, but have we seen any... What have we seen from, from Montreal, Montreal in terms of... When I was taking a look at rosters the other day, and there's a lot... There's a good number of teams that still only have 23 players signed. Um, <laughs> that's and fun. That, that's fun, given the number of competitions that are happening this season... Thankfully, the Whitecaps, I think, have 29 of 30 filled. So we've got depth there to keep us going. Yeah, um, that's the thing about the Caps is that everybody, all anybody could talk about with the Vancouver Whitecaps are, are who's going to fill the number 10 position or, or you know, who's going to be their signing that fills a number 10-esque role. Um, mm-hmm. And yet nothing has, uh, nothing, the, the, the roster feels pretty full. And nothing has uh, nothing has yet landed on that part. Mm-hmm. Well, and and that's I think literally the last position left they have to fill. Like that, that's if they're going to sign another player, it has to be that. Otherwise, they're at their limit. I think. Um. Yeah, I can't think of a single and like and just doing another search for it. Like, there's not really been any big signings that have come in for Montreal. No, not since uh, not since Hurtado, which we talked about the last time 
we right. spoke. Um, obviously, they're going to have a big. They're uh, going to have a, a time of, um, you know, missing Bojan and missing Maxi Arudi. Um, the hope is that you will have uh, Joaquin Torres and Ahmed Hamdi, who are on loan, uh, mm-hmm. are going to be able to provide some of that. Um, the Oh, Mihailovic from Chicago. Who also him. popped up in the... Uh, the Olympic tournament. Mm-hmm. As did Pantamis. That's right. I thought the Pantamis had a, a great tournament as the uh, as the goalkeeper. Absolutely. Um, yeah, he did great. So yeah, like lots of young talent there, and and conti- but it's sort of one of those things we talk about this before every season. How like you can't just have a good roster; you actually need to improve year over year in order to keep up. And it's sort of feeling like Montreal's stuck in a bit of a. It gets marginally better, but then they lose a few key pieces, and so it kind of balances out where they just end up finishing more or less in the same spot. Toronto have made no movement. Um, Simon retired, as noted, um, back in November, um, and they haven't signed anybody yet in in the the year of twenty twenty one. The Whitecaps, since we last spoke. Um, Freddie Montero has left and gone back to Seattle, which I, um... Bye. Bye. Get out of here. Who? <laughs> don't, I don't like that we signed him uh, again. Nope. I'm, I'm glad I, I'm just, for, for whatever reason that they got rid of him, I'm happy that he's gone. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of also glad that he's gone to Seattle and to a rival so that I can feel <laughs> justified in my <laughs> trash talk now. Um, not that I ever didn't feel justified in it, but, uh, yeah. Bye. Some of our big, uh, some of our big movement that has taken place, um, in, in players in Bruno Gaspar is a defender loaned from uh, sporting, uh, CP and Kyle Alexandra from Botafogo. I had a, uh, I have a pal who's a Botafogo fan. He's pissed. Yeah. Great. That's but, good news. Because that Brazilian team is getting relegated first. And, Oops. You know, just a bad, just a bad, just a bad feeling overall. Um, yeah. But also because he apparently is a good player, plays more in a in a, in a number eight position, yeah. um, more defensively, but can kind of have some some creative surprises in store, which I think is fun. Um, mm-hmm. Trying to imagine where he, um, where he slots in and. and any time that you ever pick up a player, and this was where Gaspar, this is the thing about Gaspar, um, you you get stressed about, well, what's going to happen to Jake Norwinski? Well, I hope that, that too many people aren't um, displaced, but we do need to have improvements, and, and hopefully Camp will give us the opportunity to um, determine who is the improvement out of, those, uh, out of those players. Well, one of the things that's making me feel like slightly more optimistic about the white caps this year is that we're we're signing the good kind of depth players where for me a, a the a better tactic for signing is you know taking a look at your current roster and going well what's going to be an improvement over that not somebody somebody who's going to challenge for that spot not somebody who's going to you know be a backup 
and I feel like that's what we've had a lot of the time, especially defensively. I still think people are just sort of making the assumption Gasper's going to be starting. I don't think he is. I think that spot is Nerwinski's. Um, he just signed a, a longer-term contract with the Caps. I think it's his to lose, um, and it will also take a while for Gasper to get up to speed. But what I like about that is you have somebody who can push Nerwinski because we've talked about, like, as solid as he has been, I, I think he's hit a bit of a, a ceiling, and I think he can get better but you only get better in a more competitive environment. If you know that starting spot is yours um, and your coach is reluctant to have somebody fill in for you, which has been the case for the last two seasons, um, I, I think that this is, it can only be good news. And it means that when you have players away um, and you need that depth, then, then you really have it. And you're still going to be able to get a good 10, 15 games out of Gasper, which makes it worth the investment. But... I, I still think it's going to be Nerwinski starting. Um, the uh, Alexander certainly seems like a fantastic profile of a player. The one thing that makes me feel like I, I'm not so sure is that it, it continues to be this this size thing. Like I don't mm. want to overthink it and bash it to death, but we really have very few midfielders that are like over five, nine and more than 160 pounds. And now Baldissimo showed he can, <laughs> he can ride those challenges and, and t- tussle with the best of them. But I do worry about a, a fairly big competitive league. Um, the raw talent can be there, but part of me is just having like a kind of like shades of in bomb here where I'm like, so we get another fantastic footballer who's just going to get muscled off the ball and lose possession. I think that we're bringing in higher caliber players than what we've looked at in the past. And so I hope the talent cancels that part out. But that was kind of a question for me of like, we still, that's one of the major areas of weakness on the entire Whitecaps squad. Thankfully, not so much defensively, but that midfield is not particularly big or strong. I think that, and and that's one of the things that you worry about with the idea of getting Alexander is a more um, as a more defensive player, mm-hmm. with the idea that how many players can we hang back defensively without leaving a hole in the park? Well, and I saw him kind of pitched as like a box to box midfielder, but I'm like, well, who's doing the defensive covering then for him? Not Jasper Kamiri, <laughs> who has been loaned out to San Antonio for I think a season. Yeah, that's fine with me. Um, He's a good kid. I want to see him get minutes, but yeah, and, and I think the, the 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 a challenging thing about um, evaluating the Whitecaps right now is that it really does feel like there's a piece missing, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a ten, but it's a ten. Um, but right, but you'd also like to think, like you know, even though they've made additions, it's like yeah, a, a big somebody in the midfield that has size would be great or whatever. Like, like you definitely feel like we must be one or two pieces remaining, but there are, you know, we have no international spots. We think we have minus one international spot. We have one roster spot in general. It's like we've, we're Uh, the community loan freeze one up, I think. uh, Okay. So we're, so we're set up for that, but it's still like, you know, we need Mm -hmm. more. We need more. We do. And and obviously, like, it's not just the size. Like, we need the same 
caliber of footballer and bigger, I feel. <laughs> like, in order to compete, this isn't that it's not a good signing and they're not good players, but when I look around at the other teams and I look at the, the teams that are above us in the table year after year, you, you sort of start to see the pattern and having good, young, promising players is great, but that is not going to get us above mid-table position and it may not get us into the playoffs, I think. Um... A question that I wanted to throw at you about the Whitecaps. Yes. So, 2020, re- revisit that fun year. We oh had my. no, we had no draws, which I just love to bring our <laughs> attention back to. That the Whitecaps did not draw a single game in 2020. Amazing achievement. And we conceded four. No middle goals. sliders. No middle sliders. We conceded 44 goals, which was second worst in the league, behind only behind LA Galaxy. So. A lot has changed, and we've definitely made big improvements, I think, to the squad. There also hasn't been a ton of team turnover. We've retained a good core. However, one of the areas most unchanged in the Whitecaps is defense. Yeah. So far, Gasper is the only defensive signing that they've brought in. I believe. Ooh, you could technically count one of our young players. I think we signed a center back in. That might have been before. Anyway, will this year actually be different? Because defensively, that was like one of our biggest issues was giving up so many goals, and we've only added one new defender. And I would say, okay, let's attribute at least a few of those goals to Nerwinski, but he certainly wasn't responsible for all 44. So what fundamentally... Do, like, is is the, Are the changes in the rest of the pitch enough to make up for that, or... Do you see that goal conceding issue to maybe still be hanging around? Not to not to deflect on the idea of the like you'd you'd hope that we might have another um, that we might have something that, that that you can't judge on what you have right now unless you know unless we're expecting Javane Brown the the draft pick to have a lot of minutes or unless um, you know especially. Um, given some of the movement, maybe I think that it, in a lot of cases, some of the thought process is with this team that we're growing forward with the players that we have. And right. so the first answer is that, and I wonder if you sort of agree with this, that it's just like, well, we certainly hope Derek Cornelius gets better. And he was better. He was great mm-hmm. in that tournament. I don't want to have a negative on on Cornelius, but but one of the the challenges, given who we have right now in the defensive side of things, is having that leader in the center of defense, which I think mm-hmm. is is not the only way to do it, but is one of the things that we've relied on in the past, um, to to make the defense successful. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and for me, it's just, you know, thinking back to, like, the Parker Waston days, I'm like, have we ever even been that good since then with a defensive pairing? <sighs> and, and uh, like, to answer your, your question back at me, yes, I, I do think that, like, we're growing with those players and they will improve. But if I'm looking at the current back line and I'm comparing it across the league, I kind of shrug my shoulders and go like, I mean, it's certainly not one of the worst. I'm I'm happy with all those players, but statistically, 
they're not great at keeping the ball out of the back of the net. I I do think a certain amount of that is probably like in the way that we've played and we get hemmed in and are defending for really long stretches, but it it just sort of surprised me when I looked at it that at least on paper one of the biggest issues that we had was really in our own half and what's the market improvement over last year like what's going to be the key difference but you're right it's not all just signing new players do you think that do you think that they were assuming that Adnan would be gone by this point I really have no idea I I gotta be honest I don't fully understand what the the thinking is there other than hey we can get this player and we think it's it's worth the get obviously I've come around to Adnan and I think he contributes a lot but I don't know what the long term plan there is for uh, a player that of great ability but um, ha- you had some really key moments last year can definitely change games um, but yeah I, I have no idea <laughs> I think probably they may they might have thought they'd only have him for a season or two because the CB pairing a lot was was Godoy and Kamiri, and Kamiri is gone. So now it's yeah. now it's Godoy and Cornelius. I think your 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 one A your one A pairing, um, unless you rate Veselinovic, which I don't hate Veselinovic. But is but even out of, <laughs> I think Godoy is Godoy. I think Godoy is great. Um, but if I'm looking at Cornelius and uh, Veselinovic. Are either of them a top center back in MLS? Would you even rate them in the top 20%? Well, I like... I don't love... Especially after this tournament. I'm feeling great about Cornelius. Sure. But, like, and I want him to be in that position. But I don't mm-hmm. think he's in that position. Right. Yeah. And, and, that, like, and I totally agree. Like, I don't want to be saying not nice <laughs> things about Cornelius... Or Veselinovic. Like, they're good young players, and they are continuing to get better. And I 100% like keeping a core group of players. I just... I'm not even saying... The the question is not, should we not play these players, or should we take a different approach? But just, is 2021 going to be that different with a lot of the same players (laughs) who watched a lot of those goals go in? That's the thing. That's the thing about, about you know, I don't think there's any issue with the amount of, as much as, of course, we need a number 10. Of course, we need a new offensive strategy that's not just shooting to the moon. We need to not have a big hole in the midfield. But I have no problem with the, the with, with um, slight improvements in other areas, including in defense, because we absolutely have room to grow. But I think when you have... When you have a club that is as young, you know, you, if you look at all those players we were just talking about, Cornelius is 23. Um, Gaspar is 27. So he's now, he, that's the same age as Godoy. So they're going to be uh, some of the most experienced. At, if you think of 27, mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't have that, that many players that have, you know, um, that are that are super long of the tooth. In the other side of that is, we're um, forgetting a, an important piece of the center back puzzle. Sorry, pardon. 
we're forgetting an important piece of the center back puzzle because he's not a true center back. Andy Rose. Ah, you think that could be a key? I mean, if if they want to do that, I think that also then solves the problem of what do we do with Alexander? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know the the issue of having a lot of players that can slot into that central midfielder role. Um, if you if you if you slide Rose back there, and Rose is thirty one, he's he's got experience behind him. Um, the point that I was gonna that I was going to make is is that when you are filling your team with players that are 21, 22, 23, mm-hmm. you need them to, or not need, like I don't necessarily want to say like, oh, if you don't fulfill the expectations, whatever. But the hope is, you know, we have so many players that got so many minutes that were young and they're all going to get one year better this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, is a big, you know, <laughs> uh, cross your fingers and hope. I guess the other part of it too, though, is that if you're going to take that approach, this is the time to do it with there mm-hmm. being it just being so difficult to get players in and make those new signings. Um, you know, it, it's maybe not the, the dumbest approach to just go, OK, we're going to ride this out and, and see how much we can progress with this squad. I, I think, again, for me, it's like that's not necessarily an issue, but a team that has really struggled to retain a fan base and retain much interest in it I, I just wonder how much of this ride are the Whitecaps fans that are left are really going to be along for of another year that is a building year and watching some younger players develop and progress but I, I don't think it's a realistic or fair expectation that Michael Baldissimo is starting every game and is going to be a, you know, a major impact player in the league I certainly think he has that potential, and I think he could certainly get there. But in this year, maybe not. And so I'm excited by all the prospects, but I see it as sort of like a, you know, two three years from now, these players could be some of the the players we're really talking about in the league. Um, are people that patient? Well, then let me ask you a question because this this you you've raised an important issue, um, and that's sort of like the the, the tired. The, a little fan fatigue with a couple of rough mm-hmm. seasons and seasons where you lose players that you cared about. And, yeah. and, and, you know, I, I feel like I've heard that a lot about the Whitecaps last year is I don't know mm-hmm. any of these guys. <laughs> and, yeah. and you look at the defensive side, you look at the scoring side, some players did something to, did, did work to, to become, you know, knowable and to become fan favorites, but not, you know, um, but like there is a need to, you can't just, time alone will not uh, allow the fans to buy with players. You you need to be through experiences, which, mm-hmm. um, which I guess is, is, is the, the, where we're building to for my question is, what can the club do on the pitch or off the pitch to increase enthusiasm with the mm-hmm. with the with the caveat that it's probably not going to be any more than one that unless there's a big there still is a big signing um in some way unless there is a big splash with with this roster and with the fact that there's no fans in stands until the the 
The, the schedules have been announced. Um, the Whitecaps are, have low on their their Utah home games in the first part of the season. They've played four mm-hmm. games in Utah. And then on July from July 9th onward, they've tried to backload the schedule. As we talked about, this idea of, of delaying with the hope that you have more ability to to be holding games in person later, they're hoping from July 9th on that they can TB, location TBA it. Yeah. And maybe turn those into, into, into BC plays. But mm-hmm. knowing that until then, you don't have home games. And you're mm-hmm. probably not going to be able to have any more big signings. Yeah. What can the Whitecaps do to engage fans and try to bring energy into this coming campaign? I mean, that is a great question. I mean, I see that they have been hiring um, some more media folks, which is great. I feel like that's a thing that I missed last year is that, and, and I I don't know how you do this job right now and or how you do it well, but I don't feel like I learned much about the players last season either. And it's it can't all just be like sit-down interviews and stuff like that, but the the sort of B-roll pieces, if you will, of of a, sort of a slice of these players' lives are telling us a little bit more about their background and, like, introducing them in a, a more meaningful way to the fans, I think, is one way. I think on the pitch, it's really... I guess, outside of getting better results and winning more games it's going to be showing a little bit more determination in some situations. And I know that the club had to put up an incredible amount of determination last season in many really difficult cases, but seeing that actually turn into a few more results, I think will be a big thing is that when you're having to scrape um, pieces of optimism together for yourself about like Max Cripo making a record number of saves that really shouldn't be the storyline. The storyline should be the record number of shots that were being taken and just being blasted through our side. Like we, we don't need, we don't need just big performances from one player. We need the team to step up in big moments and win us a couple of games. I don't think it needs to be a ton. Um, but if you think about it, you know, three or four more wins and even two draws and we would have been in the playoffs. Probably even, like, two more wins. So, for me, I, I hope the marginal improvement or um, the the hope that the younger players are going to perform, I think if they can step above a level and it translates into even, like, seven or eight more points than we had this season, that's probably enough to get us into the playoffs. So I guess the short answer to that question is it's got to be the playoffs. If we don't make the playoffs again, I think there's then serious questions about Mark Dos Santos's approach. The thing is, I don't even know if there's enough fans left to really apply pressure. So there's that. <laughs> you might as well just go for broke. But I don't think there's going to be much patience for another building year if we don't make the playoffs. I think that it, that that has to be the goal. That has to be the expectation as well. Because I, I feel like if it doesn't again, then all you're doing after that is kind of proving a failed experiment that you you do need a more dynamic team and you do need more experienced 
players in among those young players to make it work. Knowing the the huge number of absences that there's going to be this season with all the competitions, it's that's a massive ask because most of that weight for picking up those draws and maybe those couple of key wins is going to fall on the younger players who aren't going to be away on international duty. The thing is that that's a that's a that's a great point, and I agree with you about the playoffs because I think those those bonding experiences rely on you to do well in in the competitions that you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, in in the Canadian the Canadian uh, tournament, if it can happen, if um, in, in ultimately trying to make the playoffs, because it's like what was one of the what was one of the huge galvanizing things? It was the game against Chicago where they qualified for the MLS's back playoffs. Yeah, that was the happiest I was as a White Caps fan all year last year. Um, exactly. And I'm not trying to say that much. negatively, but it's like you know you, you look at the what the storyline with Hassal and everything. Everybody loved like like those were good times, and then there was just a long period of bad times after that. And if all your good times are only in moments of adversity, having a younger player step in, I don't know that that's enough to sustain you. It's not that it's bad. It's just that I don't know if we've got another year of like really being able to derive all our joy from our third string goalkeeper coming in and performing. Again, great that he can do that, but we don't want to be in those positions again and have so much riding on it. It's it's. I, I think after a certain point, that adversity starts to work against a young side. They don't have the same experience of getting through those moments. Um, I think you've seen the the effect of adding experience to Orlando, where that's really started to shift things for them. I mean, it helps that one of those players is Nani, but that that mix of younger and older, I think, gives them a little bit more ability to bounce back from situations because there's players that have been in similar situations um whereas a lot of our young squad is flying kind of blind into this but the good thing is a player like baldissimo and a number of others are getting lots of minutes and are playing at the national level so i i think that we can even consider them in a slightly different category than necessarily like a, a youth player or you know, a young reservist on our squad, they're actually going to be moving into significantly more minutes this season. That is good. Elsewhere in the league, you mentioned Orlando. Um, the big news, I guess, with them is that everybody loves Daryl DK. Um, who is, everybody uh, in, anywhere near Barnsley Stadium sure does. Yeah, he's been on loan to the, the English Championship side. He's, uh, he's scored five goals in 11 games, um, including... Uh, two on St. Patrick's Day. Yep. Um, and there's been some some good pub around him and what he's been up to. And the the question is, will he come back, or will somebody have their eye on him now that he's been in the European shop window? But True. if he makes his return, I think that that will be a um, ultimately well, a big boon for Orlando and something that people will be paying attention to. Absolutely. Uh, last I heard, Barnsley had made a bid to buy him, and Orlando promptly rejected it. So I don't know if they've moved since then. But, um, yeah, the attention on him for sure is great. It's also great to see Orlando really st- 
sticking to their guns and being like, oh, no, no, we know. We want this player on our side. Like, I think Oscar Perea has been pretty clear. Like, they're not just playing hardball. He's like, he's, he's our player. Like, we do want him back. We sent him here to develop, and he's a part of our plans going forward. <laughs> Which is, is great because I think it does mean if another – if Barnsley or another club wants them, they really are going to be paying top dollar um, because it's not a player that Orlando wants to or needs to sell. So it's I think it's great for Orlando no matter what happens and it's also great for Daryl DK no matter what happens cuz he I I can't think of the last time an American player went over to England and had this kind of success so off the bat There've been a like, few the the, 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 the mid-season sure. loan has been nice but you know we the the fan favoriteness of it all is, yeah, is I mean, you know, is 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 unique. Elmeron got there, but it still took him a year and a half to to reach. I, I know a different filling in a different role, but like si- similar caliber of of players. And I would say nobody rated DK that highly um, when he went to Barnsley. But just to become such an instant fan favorite is is great. Greg Vanny and uh, at LA Galaxy has uh, has been reunited with one of his signings from Toronto FC, Victor Vasquez. Who's a name that I just it like had erased from my brain, and then as soon as I saw that signing, was like, does that guy still play football? He does, <laughs> and he's going to be doing it with Greg Vanny, um, bringing in some much needed size experience and experience in midfield. So, well done. That is exciting. Um, the what else did I have here? Um, the, oh, Acosta. We- Oh, yeah. Lucho Acosta is back in the league. Um, FC Cincinnati was able to bring him in, back in from Atlas. Um, and I believe he's already scored in a preseason game as well. But really, uh, I, I think a, a really big signing for Cincinnati. And also one that feels a little less like they're rolling the dice. Like, they know what they're getting through Acosta. Of course, there's question marks. But he seems to be fitting in so far. When was the last time that we saw... Maybe okay. Maybe maybe I'm gonna see this, say this, and get you know. We this is the 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 prime use of the uh, the allocation order being used correctly, where a team <laughs> at the top of the order plays signs a player that they would like to have. Yes, um, that is good. Which you seem to you more often you see that the team at the top of the order trades for trades the allocation spot <laughs> to the team that wants to play the, 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 the team that wants to sign the player. Um, and I think that that that's exciting. And and what's happened? You know, I don't want to jump. I don't want to jump ahead. We were talking a little bit about this about saying, "Oh, Cincinnati going to do something?" But mm-hmm. you know, they've been making some. They've been making some adjustments, and you can't just add a bunch of pieces, even if they're great pieces like Ronald Madarita. Um, mm-hmm. You can't. Uh, you can't just add. You can't solely add a lot of great pieces. Um, and then just say, go and hope that it all works. But um, I think that they are, they have had challenges. And part of that challenge, and this relates to some of the challenges the Wakehouse have had, is just the player group. You know, yeah. sometimes, not always, but sometimes just having a huge infusion of talent can really make a difference. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's it's all there for Cincy. The question is, do, do all the pieces fit together? Will there be the chemistry to make them significantly better? But certainly just looking at their roster sheet this season, you're like, wait, 
is this okay this feels like the squad they should have put together in their expansion here um so hopefully things improve there two other good bits of good news and we all need that is sebastian blanco is now back to full team training with portland timbers yeah great really great to see him back after a just really awful acl injury also, if you go over to the Portland Timbers website, I hate that I'm sending people there, but they did a really good feature kind of on his recovery that's actually, I think it's several parts to it, but is an interesting look behind the scenes of how much work is going on when you, you don't see the player um, in the stadium and on the pitch. And also the king, the angry man himself, Joseph Martinez, the very bad man, is back. Oh my God! What a change! What a difference that's going to make to the league, and just in terms of the the, the personnel and, and who's going to be, who's going to put their stamp on things. I don't know how to feel about this fact that there's not much cross conference play. Yeah. Um. So so not everybody is going to see him until the right. playoffs, but. I'm very okay with Vancouver Whitecaps not facing Joseph Martinez for like a while. <laughs> very okay with that. Uh, yeah, that's a great it can point. Wait, <laughs> 2022. Um, the uh, Inter Miami signed a player with with championship pedigree. That's right, the big defender, Jovan Jones. <laughs> oh, and so good. oh, and they signed Man- former Manchester United player Ryan Shawcross. Uh, good luck with that one, guys. How's Tottenham doing? Hey. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> hey, if we're flinging mud, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I want to fling mud too. <laughs> hey, listen. Hey, listen. Uh, Shalina Zadorsky <laughs> is the is the Canadian that's currently captaining Spurs women, and I'm really excited about how that's going. Except so good. Let's just not talk about the North London Derby. Let's just not talk about it. Mm-mm. We don't need to. It's not what we're about here. <laughs> but but the in in our Concacafy thing, I wanted to say that I was excited about Zdorsky. It's great to yes. see her be in that that key position. And there are a couple there are a couple players who went over um, for their WSL um, winter, summer vacation or winter vacations, I guess, uh, that are staying. Um, mm-hmm. Which you know that is a certain amount of talent. You know. A certain amount of talent drain, but I don't think the hugest amount of talent drain. And, and ultimately, having more clubs around the world that are that are strong is is positive. The NWSL is doing great. Totally, I love it. The CS, the the, Cam, the Canadian Premier League, uh, made it, made, you know, made a big show of 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 potentially adding another club, and people said Burnaby. No, uh, it was in fact. Uh, Saskatchewan, so um, good. Will be making their, uh, will be will have been given the right to a team once they can get a stadium. So there is no, uh, there is no word, there is no, there is no year attached to that. Right. They're just in the running because they're they're chopping up a. They're chopping up a, a, a horse racing track. And people are slightly concerned about what's gonna happen mm-hmm. with uh, with with the with racing in the province if that if that track goes away. So they might that might be a little bit not to say that I don't know if it will or won't happen, but that might be a little bit more than a, a little bit more challenging than a done deal. Right. Right. 
but it's certainly hopefully promising and love a good prairie team. I feel like they've been often uh well they just have been an unrepresented underrepresented um in the soccer scene for a while and certainly we know there's no shortage of talent from the prairies so (laughs) something hopefully to look forward to but definitely not quite a done deal as you said (laughs) it's a small manner of needing a city a stadium and you know then a team um is there anything else do you think that uh do you think that we've 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 done our 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 trip around the league i think so yeah i think you know, MLS-wise, there just there continues to be movement. My eye is kind of to the teams that do have those smaller rosters. There's a number of them that only have 23 players um, or, or 25, and just wondering if they're going to be able just logistically to get all the players they need before the start of the season. And my only other comment was just going to be, you know, with some preseasons getting underway now, some teams maybe not getting as many preseason games. Some teams will probably have none. I'm expecting an interesting start to the season. I think it's going to be a little bit sloppy, and you're going to see very different levels of play, and and it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out. But I'm anticipating a, a bumpy and, and maybe interesting first few weeks as teams settle in. It's wild to me to go back sometimes um, to look at the MLS's back uh, photos, as I sometimes yeah. have to for work, um, yeah. and see how... And see how uh, sweaty everyone is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and and perhaps we might have a little bit, uh, a little bit of that in our future. I think so. Yeah. And I, I think the big thing will be is it's it's not going to be equal across all teams. Some teams have been able to do more, get more games, do more training, and so I think you're going to see, very, like I said, very differing levels of readiness at the beginning of the season. But definitely a lot of a lot of uh, heavy breathing. I think at the halftime whistle, <laughs> I'll be sweating at home just watching every put it. But he put in that much effort. Yeah. Um, until then, uh, while we're while we're doing our wind sprints and and, and our and our bicycle, our, our you know our pregame spin classes. Um, <laughs> uh, where can we find you online? You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at that's so MLS. Of course, you can find this podcast at thatsomemls.com, on Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts, where can we find you? You can find me online on Twitter, at TBates, www.team-baits.com. Super smashing great. And until the next time we speak, don't get sent off. <laughs>